0: Build on the good foundation that you've been given. What threatens you to build on another foundation other than the one you've received? What tempts you to leave your identity in Christ at the door? What have you begun to believe that has taken Jesus off of his throne and put you on it? If you are to grow in your relationship with Jesus, then you grow the same way you came into a relationship with Jesus, by faith and repentance. Welcome to the Trinity Presbyterian Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. Trinity is a member congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America and the Acts 29 Network. We are located in Owasso, Oklahoma. Follow us at TrinityOwasso.com. Also, find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Trinity Owasso. While in prison, the first time, you can read about this in Acts 20 through, 22 through 28, Paul had a visitor whose name was Epaphras. Epaphras came to him as a church planter coming to visit Rome. And he said to Paul, Paul, in our hometown of Colossae, there are a group of people who are beginning to believe that Jesus plus something equals the gospel. That Jesus plus angel worship, that Jesus plus asceticism, what you wear, what you eat, uh, that is how you grow in the Christian life. And so Paul pulls out a, Piece of parchment, and he writes a letter to them. He just written one to the Ephesians a year ago. He writes a letter to the Colossians, and he writes a letter to say, Christ is supreme. And if Christ is who he says he is, and if Christ has done what he said he has done, and he is, and he has, then why would you want to add anything to his finished work? And Paul says that the, the, the motivation for you to grow is a wonderful thing. You want to grow in your deeper intimacy with the Lord. You want to grow in knowing Him better. You want to grow to know what it means to live out who you are in Jesus. And the problem in with the Colossians was not that they wanted to grow. It's that they were growing in the wrong way. They were growing by adding things to the gospel. And Paul says, no, no, no. Christ is preeminent and If you are to grow in your relationship with Jesus, then you grow the same way you came into a relationship with Jesus, by faith and repentance. And so, we read Colossians 2, 6 and 7 again this week. It is the hinge verse of the book of Colossians, explaining all that he has just explained before and setting up all that he will explain in the remainder of the book. And so if you're willing and able, let's stand together. And we're going to read together Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Let's read this verse all together. Verse 6. Therefore... As you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Build on the good foundation that you've been given. Paul exhorts the Colossians, just as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, which begs the question, okay, Paul, how do you do that? What's the mechanism? How do we walk with Him? And Paul beats you to the punch because he answers the question with four participles. The first one is a perfect passive participle. That is, you have been rooted in Him. We talked about that last week. You've been justified by your faith in Jesus Christ. You have had a legal declaration change from being a child of darkness to being a child of light, to being unrighteous, to having Christ's righteousness placed upon you, your sin forgiven, His righteousness given to you, forensically granted to you. It is legally yours. It can never be changed. And then he gives us three present passive participles. You've been built up in him. And that's where I want us to focus our energy for a few moments this morning. Build on the good foundation you have been given. The Greek participle built up is this fun word to say. In Greek, it's a poikado moimonoi. That's fun to say, isn't it? A e poikado moimonoi. So when your parents say something to you this week, teenagers, you can look at them and you can say, poikado moimonoi. You can say, sounds like gibberish, but in Greek, it means built up. It's an architectural term. It means that when a foundation has been laid, the intention of that Foundation is to have a structure built upon it. Rooted and built up in him. He links these two metaphors together. This agricultural metaphor, this architectural metaphor to say that what the Lord has done in your life, he intends for you to grow, to build on it. And built up is a metaphor that is not primarily speaking about our interdependence as Christians. Built up together does not, he, Paul is not trying to say you're built up together like bricks together in a building. That's what he does say in Ephesians chapter 4. That's what he does say in Romans 12 or 1 Corinthians 12, and that is true. But in this context, what he is saying is that you have received foundational knowledge. You have received a tradition. You have received the gospel. Build on it. You've been built up. Continue to build on that foundation that's been given to you. He's describing to you what it means to walk in Him. Foundations are meant to be built on. What is a foundation? A foundation is something that supports, that sustains, that stabilizes. Whenever you see a foundation that's built The first thing you always ask is, what's going to go on that? Especially right now in in this part of Tulsa, there's so much building going on. There's foundations everywhere. And people are curious. What's going on that? The store that you want to see in Owasso or, or the house that is going to be built. What is it? And whether it's a skate park or a skyscraper, foundations are meant to be built upon. And it's strange, isn't it? Whenever you see a foundation of a house that's built and it just sits there for a long time like you start to ask some questions did they run out of energy they ran out of money they changed their mind like what happened and so paul is also saying when you have a foundation that is given to you as we have received christians the intention is that it continues to be built upon Paul says, build on that foundation. You've received the truth of the gospel, apply it. Begin to let everything that you know find meaning and light of the truth that Jesus Christ is Lord. Just as you received him, so also walk in him. If you have a building that has a foundation, the intention is that that foundation is built upon. And it's built upon according to the contours of the design of that foundation. So for example, um, just to use the, our, Trinity's building as an example. Like we are, we are designing the building that we're gonna build in phase one with the intention of building one day a phase two. And so there's a lot of work that's going into phase two in phase one that will allow us to do phase two one day and save the church and a lot of resources down the line. But wouldn't it be strange if future Trinity congregation saw this foundation, these pipes that are under the ground and all this stuff ready to go for the second phase and they were to go, Huh. What's that for? And they were to design something totally different. And they were to tear up the pipes and they were to redo it. And 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 we would be like, no. Like some of the youngest children, right? Hopefully it's not that long until phase two, but if the youngest children were older by then, they would say, wait a minute, there's a design. And it's meant to be built upon. That's what Paul is saying. You've been rooted in your justification by faith in Jesus Christ. And you are meant to grow upon that foundation. Not supplementing it. Not adding to it. Standing on it. Firm. Confident. It stabilizes. It supports. And foundations sustain you. Paul uses a similar metaphor in First Corinthians chapter three. He says, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold or silver or precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, Each one's work will become manifest for the day, the great day of the Lord's return, the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. So building metaphors that Paul uses both in Colossians and in 1 Corinthians Underlie the importance of the founding traditions that the Colossians in this case, or the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians case, received. They heard the gospel and they are to build on that received knowledge of what Jesus has done for them. Build on the good foundation you have been given. Now, that is the exegesis of that word, Epoi kodomoimenoi, built upon. That is what the text means. So let's take it a little deeper together and let's think about it and let's bring it closer to home. What threatens you to build on another foundation other than the one you've received? What tempts you to leave your identity in Christ at the door. What have you begun to believe that has taken Jesus off of his throne and put you on it? How does what you've received in your scriptural teaching and learning not compute when you make practical decisions? Where is there a gospel gap in your thinking? Now, a gospel gap is this idea, the space in your life where your fear is greater than your faith in Jesus. Your fear of losing something, your fear of being treated some way, your fear of losing this or that, your fear of something is greater than your faith in Jesus. There's an old Scottish poet named Horatius Bonar who lived in the 19th century. He said, you have got a hold of many good things, but you have missed perhaps the one thing which make it a deeply joyful sound. You believe perhaps the whole gospel, save the one thing which is good news to the sinner. You see the cross as bringing salvation very near, but not so absolutely close as to actually be in contact with you. Not so entirely close, but that there's a little space, just a hand breadth or a hair breadth to be made up by your own prayers, your own effort, your own feelings. Everything you say is complete. But that one of feeling in myself, ah, there it is. You got to feel it. And there's your gospel gap. There is a little unfinished bit of Christ's work which you are trying to finish, whether it's by your emotion or by your service to persuade him by your prayers to finish you. That want of feeling is the little inch of distance which you have to get removed before the completeness of Christ's work is available to you in all of its power. Henry Smith said, He hideth in righteousness with his righteousness. He covereth our disobedience with his obedience. He shadoweth our death with his death, that the wrath of God cannot find us. If you have been rooted in Jesus, then you have been justified by faith in Christ. That is the mechanism of how you are made right with God. Now, That's the mechanism, but what's the motivation to close the gospel gap? The motivation to close that gospel gap in your life is the Christian doctrine of adoption. The Christian doctrine of adoption is the highest privilege the gospel offers us, the Puritans used to say. Justification is a forensic idea, it's a legal idea, but it is conceived, justification is conceived in terms of the law and with God as a judge. The free gift of acquittal, however, does not itself imply intimate knowledge and relationship with the father. In adoption, however, God takes us into his family and He establishes us as his children, as his heir. There is closeness, there is affection, there is generosity, there is warmth of intimacy in the relationship, whereby daily we say to ourselves, I am a child of God. I am a son, I am a daughter of God, and his love for me will never change. And in light of that immeasurable power of knowing the intimacy of your father, I mean, Jesus even taught his disciples to pray how? Our father in heaven. Jesus is wrapping all the doctrines of adoption, even in, even in what Harrison read earlier in John 15. Like, I am the vine, you are the branches. Remain in me and I in you. Like, apart from me, you're in me. You're adopted in the family. You're in if you believe in Christ. I have a friend whose name is Adam, and he has a daughter named Carolyn. And Carolyn is from China, and Adam is from Texas. They do not look alike. But if you were to take Carolyn and you were to say to Carolyn, Carolyn, I don't really know if you're a Jones, she would look at you and go, You're crazy. I have my father's name, I'm a Jones. She wouldn't think about skin color. She wouldn't think about the way she looks. She wouldn't think about accent. She would say, I'm, a, I'm my father's. I am his. And if you've ever adopted a child, you know that that child, when he knows that he is loved and he is yours, there's nothing that can take away the power of the intimacy, the bond between that parent and that child. That is yours in Christ. That is the adoption you have in Jesus, friends. Justification is the mechanism by which you come to know God. But adoption is the motivation for you to serve him and to continue, as Paul tells us, to walk in him. When Paul says in him, in alto, in Greek, it's the 10th time he has said that thus far in the book of Colossians. And he is just pounding the idea that you're in him. You're in him. You're in him. Believe it. John 1.12, 1 John 3.1, Galatians 4.4 say that those who believe in Christ become children of God. Romans 8:16, Galatians 4, 6 and 7 declare that we are joint heirs with Christ, which means that everything that Christ has is ours. We aren't deity like Jesus, no, but we have, been re- we have been received into the Father's intimate family because of the work of our elder brother Jesus. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that the sons of God receive his particular provisions and protection and discipline which is why sometimes when we don't obey God's Word, we feel deeply convicted because you're the Lord's. It is a sign of the Holy Spirit's love for you to shape and mold you to become more like His family. The motivation to obey God is not to get Him to please you. It's because He already is pleased with you. And He wants you to obey His Word and to run in obedience and to live a life of holiness because He loves you. That's what grace does when it's rightly understood. Otherwise, it's a foundation that has nothing on it, and people wonder, what is up with that? Now, in the ancient world, when you adopted a child, you picked a virtuous servant or a relative, and you adopted them into your name. In the Roman world, you adopted virtuous young men into your family. In the United States of America in the 20th century, we adopt very cute babies to be ours. It's beautiful. But in Christian adoption, friends, God himself, your father, adopts adults who are sinful and are not very pretty. And he says, I want you in all your mess. Oh, we'll go adopt a young child. Who would adopt an adult that is as messy as we are? Your father who loves you. And he brings you in and he says, now I've given you my name. Walk in it. Let's take it deeper still. The trick is that Paul here is trying to tell a group of people that you are built up in him. And if you can imagine several different air, uh, uh, um, sets of bricks being built up, we are built up together individually, and yet we're also built up next to each other. And the, the, when the winds are calm and when the weather is nice, you can stack a lot of bricks up pretty high next to one another. And so you can imagine if I had a, a stack. This is the Barry Baker set of bricks, and this is the Ron Brasswell set of bricks, and this is the this is the the John Herbert set of bricks, and, and this is the Kyle Lillard set of bricks, and and we're all right, right next to each other. We're all, that's the metaphor that the the that the passage is trying to. It's individualistic. You're built up, built on the foundation he's given. The problem is that there's a lot of wind and there's a lot of noise and there's a lot of shrapnel being thrown across the room. And so some of these bricks start to sway and pretty soon those bricks start to scrape up against each other and oh, we felt that this past year, no doubt about it. And all of a sudden now we're all together trying to figure this out and we're leaning against each other. We're trying to stay up and we're fighting together to be able to stay firm on our foundation. It's easy when the winds are calm But when the winds are blowing hard, you got to really fight to stay on your foundation together and you're going to bump into each other. And we do. Every time Paul uses you in Colossians, it's plural. You all, you all walk in him together. You all, just as you all receive Jesus, so also walk in him. And there's a tendency for us, if I can just be so bold and very direct and and I'm going to try to very carefully to say what I want to say here so that you do not misunderstand what I'm trying to say one of the tendencies today is that we are living in a world not of of shaman-like figures telling us to add to Jesus explicitly. No, it is far more subtle to us. It seems pretty clear when Paul writes a book about it. But today we're in the same dynamic spiritually. And there are there are heresies that abound, and primarily the heresies that we struggle with right now are not necessarily explicit doctrinal heresies. We're not distancing ourselves from, like, the Roman Catholic Church so much, as we are distancing ourselves from identity heresies, if I could use that term. Identity heresies that are just shot through our culture. And some of us have had conversations about these identity heresies. For example, there's the thera- therapeutic model of identity, which says that you reach down really deep inside and you pull out what your deepest feeling is of who you are. And that becomes your primary identity. And everything else is subservient to that. It is what you feel. That is your identity. Or there's another very popular Identity heresy going on called the minority identity heresy, which is that you are whatever minority you happen to claim or be. So if, so if you're a minority race, you play like, this is my primary identity. I am this. This is my primary or my sexual orientation. You pull that out. Say, this is my primary identity, whatever it might be. Whether it's your, your, your race that you use or your, however you have been oppressed or it's your sexual orientation and you use that to be your chief identity. Like, that is your primary identity. And friends, you may indeed be a minority in your culture. There is no question about that. But when you use that as the identity that defines your life, friends, you have added to the gospel. And I dare say that Paul would be writing a letter to combat that today. But let me go further. Those heresies tend to be the heresies that we see on the far, far left. But all those kids that grew up in the 80s and 90s in evangelical churches, there have become a kind of reaction against those kind of identity heresies. And instead of standing on the gospel and saying, Jesus is my finished work, I rest on my justification by faith in him. I'm motivated by my adoption. There's a lot of young kids in the 80s and 90s that now lead an identity heresy called Christian nationalism that is just as heinous as what we've seen on the far left. And so this Christian nationalism is is this idea that it is Jesus plus patriotism. Jesus plus my nationality. Now, I love our country. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I love the fact that we have been given such amazing privileges. And I also recognize the fact that there are those to whom this country has... they've struggled and I'm not saying anything negative about our country what I am saying is that there is a kind of identity heresy called nationalism that creeps in that comes from within the church that is just as dangerous if not more dangerous than the kind of heresies we love to point fingers at and say that is not the gospel do you hear what I'm saying is that clear So whether it's from within the church or it comes from without the church, there are identity heresies that we must learn how to apply the gospel to so that we can walk in this minefield together and we can stay centered on what the finished work of Jesus has done for us. So that means we need to fight. We need to fight and encourage and uphold the common good of everyone. Yes, and that means we are going to lock arms at times with people who have been oppressed because that is what Christians do. They've done that for history, all throughout history. But we're going to assess that in light of the gospel. That's the key phrase. And at the same time, we're going to say to our brothers and sisters, yes, like this gets into, this gets into politics a little bit. But like, do you let your politics rule your identity or do you let the gospel rule your politics? And you've, we've got this church to be able to navigate those waters well together. That's what, one of the things that I pray makes this church unique so that we can have an amazing diversity in this congregation. And we do. Political, economic diversity, and yet we can have conversations that stay centered on the gospel. And we think through what the gospel teaches to help us navigate these difficult waters because it's just going to get tougher. And if you don't have the ABCs of the gospel down, you will not be able, you will not be able to navigate through these days very well. You'll be way overwhelmed when the winds and the shrapnel come beating your door down and your set of bricks starts to teeter and totter. And so listen to the way Paul puts this. He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. How's that for balm for a very traumatic 12 months? We're all hurting and suspicion abounds. Just listen to Paul read over you as though he was reading it to us for the first time today. For by him, Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He's in control. He is before all things. and In him, all things hold together so that he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in him everything might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And if then you've been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on that which is above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when God, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. But put to death what is earthly in you, Christian. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And in these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and now have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. Amen? Here, Paul reading this over you, and Jesus saying, this is yours today. Put on those God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, as we say every week in the passing of the peace. And be thankful. Let the word of God dwell richly in you, teaching, admonishing one another in all wisdom. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Just as you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in Him. And we are being built up, each of us together. On what foundation are you choosing to build? Build on the good foundation that you've been given. The mechanism of being transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light is our justification, but the motivation is his adoption of you as a child of God. Do you know your father's love? And as you prepare your hearts for the table in just a moment, would you see your father coming to you and saying, I love you. Come to me, bring your mess to me. I know your marriage is a mess. I know your life's a mess. I know there's tensions there. Bring them to me. And allow me to allow my body to encourage you to help you see the tenderness of my love. We are called to be a snapshot of the coming kingdom, Trinity. A countercultural community for the common good. And we do that every time we resist the temptation to be angry every time that we catch a word on the tip of our tongue that would not be edifying to a brother or sister, every time that we sacrifice in ways that just seem to hurt, we are a picture of the coming kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ for Owasso and Tulsa and this part of Oklahoma. And you have been called to be part of that. You're part of his family. Just as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, let us walk in him. Build on the good foundation you've been given. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would strengthen us now. That you would help us. That we would build on the good foundation that you have given to us. And that the gospel of your son might be the primary identity of our life that we are in you. Yes, we are this particular race. Yes, we have been born in this particular city. Yes, we have all these other identity markers. But in him, Father, may that chiefly mark us as your people. Deepen our relationships. Deepen our connections to each other. As you deepen us and our understanding of our identity built up in Him. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.